Hello and thank you for listening to this Exploring ASD podcast with the Northern Trust. My name's James Nelson, I'm a psychiatrist in the Trust and I'm delighted to be joined today by my colleague Nicola. Nicola, would you like to introduce yourself? Hiya James, my name's Nicola and I am a senior ASD therapist within the Paediatric Autism Service. Uh, Thanks for joining us today Nicola and we've got an interesting title for our podcast today. Let's talk about bad behaviour and I know right from the start you're going to help us see that the term bad behaviour isn't maybe the most constructive way to think about our topic today, Nicola. So do you want to say a little bit more, even just to start with, about bad behaviour versus behaviour in the setting of autism, if that's not too hard a question to start with? Yep. Um, so behaviour, when we talk about behaviour, we're talking about behaviour that challenges um, uh, us as parents, um, carers, professionals and teachers and whenever we're talking about those kind of behaviors that challenge um, we're talking about aggression so that hitting um, kicking biting uh, self-interest behavior which is head banging um, face slapping skin picking sometimes school refusal so um, definitely getting um, your child into school or just full um, full refusal to go to school and then proper day as well so maybe throwing objects and or, and smashing things so it's not that it's bad behavior um because to the child they're trying to communicate um something isn't right or they need something or their needs are not being met so it's not bad behavior it, to the child it's a communication tool um it's challenging for the parents and the the people that are supporting the child yeah, so that, that, I mean, that's quite a list of things you've already mentioned there about d- destruction of property, being physically aggressive. This is difficult things that we're, we're talking about and you're encouraging us here to be thinking about this as as in some ways uh, a communication. What is the child trying to tell us? And I suppose a parent listening to this or a carer might be thinking, OK, I'm up for trying to understand that. But what on earth is it telling me? What? Why is this happening? So um, for the child, um, it's a, the child's reaction to something. So the behavior is a reaction to something internally. So that could be the child's um, anxious about something. So maybe it's the um, new restrictions within school or going to an environment that they've never been to before and they're a little anxious about it or stressed. It could be some kind of sensory need. So maybe um, internally I'm having some kind of need to raise regulate my system or there could be something to do with the processing speed of spoken words so the child's ability to understand what you're asking them to do and so that's one reason why behavior happens so something internally is happening and then there's other external or environmental reasons why behavior happens Um, and I suppose as uh, behavior specialists we try to assess that behavior under um, five functions One being attention, so to get the child's looking for attention um, or is needing the attention removed so they don't want the the parent's attention. Um, And sometimes what happens is is that some children that we work with um, actually like to see the the parent cross or um, they want to see the parent under pressure and that makes them more likely to to display a, a behavior that challenges um, so that would be attention so we'd be looking for is the behavior happening um, to get an attention element 
Our next function would be escape, um, escape or avoid. Um, and what's happening there is, is that the child is displaying the behavior to avoid a task. Or So you've asked your child to do something, um, they've hit out and you've removed them that instruction. So go and tidy your bedroom. The child hits out, um, shouts and screams. And then what happens is, is mom goes and tidies the bedroom. So what's happened there is, is they have escaped the demand to clean your bedroom. The mom has went and done that, the task for them. So what happens then um, is, is that the child has learned through, if I do this behavior, if I hit out or I scream, um, mom does the task for me and I, I get to avoid that demand. The next kind of function we look for as behavior specialist is sensory. So something internally is happening whenever I do the behavior. So this is very apparent whenever we have kids that might skin pick. So when I skin pick, um, it feels good um, internally for me. Um, so the behavior will continue because internally I'm being reinforced. The next function we look for is gain access to um, an item. Um, and what's happening there is um, if I hit, hit my head, um, my mum will go and get me juice and my tablet because mum is wanting the behaviour to stop. So I'll go and try and find what it is that the, the ch my child's looking for. Um, but what the child is ultimately learning is I just need to hit my head and I can get access to something I want. So maybe my game console or juice or a snack. And then the fifth kind of function that we look for is pain. A lot of kind of self-injurious behavior would be resulted from toothache or um, a headache. And whenever I bang my head, um, it, it makes the pain go away slightly. Um, so we, we really look at, is there a source of pain um, that is causing this behavior within the, the child? And then some of the kind of things that we look forward from parents is, is asking the parents, what, why does the behavior happen? Give me an example of when the behavior happens. And what we're looking for there is what's the trigger to the behavior. And some parents really struggle to find what that, that trigger is. And that is because they're in the thick of the behavior and they're kind of trying to manage it and keep the child safe. Um, so we're, we ask parents to take a step back look at what is the child getting from this behavior? What is the child trying to communicate to you as a parent? Okay, yeah, so there's a lot in there, Nicola, and a lot can be going on for for a young person. Is this almost like the parent playing detective that they're trying to sort of step back and really seek out, even if it seems like there isn't a trigger, that there could well be? Am, am, am I getting you right about that? Yes. Um, yes. So we're wanting, we, we do a little detective work. So what is the child trying to communicate to us? Um, and what we would be asking parents to do is take a step back, get a page um, and a pen and write down um, what is happening. So we call it the ABCs. So antecedent is what's happening before the behavior. Behavior, what does the behavior look like? And then consequence, um, what is the, the child getting from the behavior? So, for example, if we take an, um, we have a child sitting um, playing their tablet um, before dinner, mum calls to them and says, right, Joe, it's time for dinner. Um, and the child throws her consoles and hits out at mum. So the antecedent would be they're, they're playing their, their console, so a preferred activity. Um, in the living room, mom calls for d dinner, which is the demand. 
the behavior then is throws the child throws the console and hits out at mum. Um, and then the cons- the consequence then, so what happens straight after the, the behavior is that mum allows the child to watch the console while eating his dinner. So the function then, so when we're, we're being our detectives, we're looking at, well, they have um, gained access to their their console and they've avoided the task as such or they've avoided the, the demand um, because they've got access to the computer. Okay, yeah, so A, B, C, antecedent behavior and consequence. And as you're saying that, Nicola, it's making me think some of this is independent of whether the child's autistic or not. That um, if they get a preferred consequence out of a behavior for any child, we can see why they might choose to keep going with that. And maybe even sometimes parents or carers of children with autism could overthink things a bit and maybe let autism complicate it when some of it is maybe more straightforward i know some of it definitely isn't but but some aspects of it could um i don't know if you agree with me yes totally all kind of behavior happens in this antecedent behavior consequence any parent um, that struggles with any kind of behavior can use those kind of principles or the principles that we'll be discussing throughout your podcast today um so and for any parent um, is is just look at what, what is the child communicating and what does the child get as a result of their behavior. So if we look at any behavior um, of anyone, including myself and you, James, um, it all ca- carries out or it all works within a behavior curve. So we have baseline, um, everything's going great. So we've maybe slept well the night before, we've got up and our favorite food is downstairs um and everything is going great we're happy and then something might trigger so we might come down the stairs and there might be a flat tire or there might be not our favorite cereal and that would trigger our behavior and what happens then is we start to escalate up our behavior curve and at that kind of escalation point we say to parents let's find what's escalating let's try and intervene there at that very start of the trigger and escalation point so that we can get the child back to baseline. And it is a very small window to get some behavior strategies put in place there. And if not, what happens then the child escalates to to a stage where they go to crisis. And at the crisis phase, what happens is the child loses rationale and no kind of real behavior strategies work at that stage. Um, And it's just around managing the safety of the child and the safety as you as parent. And then what happens following the crises, they'll go to a post-crisis phase where they might feel sorry for themselves and they might not understand what fully un- what happened. So they might say, well, why, why is the room wrecked? And then they will go back to baseline. Generally, what research is saying is from the point of crises back to baseline takes approximately 90 minutes. And why they're saying that is it's so that the adrenaline um, that is rushed to the child's body, is um, it takes 90 minutes for them to, to leave their body. So that's the kind of behavior curve. And as I say, everybody's behavior follows that behavior curve. For myself um, and yourself, James, we manage, we're able to cope with a stressor. Um, and then we are able to come back to baseline much quicker um, than um, a child on the spectrum. So you're pointing out for us there, Nicola, the importance of intervening or capturing things 
relatively early before they they reach the crisis point, so to speak. Yeah. And at which point, it's it's temporarily a point of no return. It's it's yeah. it's going to get difficult to for the child to calm down very quickly. They're going to need a bit of space and a bit of time for everybody yeah. to to calm. Yeah. And and I suppose at this point we're probably talking about two different things combined, aren't we? We're we're talking as a general theme of this podcast about. Uh, in inverted commas bad behavior or really behavior and what it communicates and we're going to explore that more but I think at this point as well you're also touching on what people would often call a meltdown is that right Nicola? Yeah and I suppose um, there's, they're definitely two different things so we have the uh, a child's meltdown where the child is trying to process a lot of information so whether that is noises, smell, touch they're also trying to maybe understand social interactions with their peers, with their family, they're maybe dealing with new restrictions in the school setting, changes to their routines um, maybe they haven't had enough sleep or they are in pain and they're trying to manage a lot of information and then what happens is is a child on the spectrum hasn't the ability to filter out the important stuff so that what they try to do then is to try and understand all of the information and what's really um, important is is that that build up of information is like they're they're building up and building up all day and then what happens is the slightest small thing can tip them over the edge um, and one child um, whenever we were completing therapy said it's like I've got 150 tabs opened in my head and I'm trying to read all of them and that's when you have a meltdown so there's so much information being taken into the child um, and then one slight little thing can just tip them over edge and they have then this meltdown as opposed to then a behavioral episode. So my behavior is to gain something. So I want to get your attention or I want to escape the demand. So that's the contrast between behavior meltdown and a behavioral episode that has a has one of those five functions to the behavior. And I suppose, Nicola, this distinction is really important for parents because they'll respond differently. So going to your early example of the child who didn't want to get off the device, caused a bit of a scene and then got to stay on their device, uh, that would warrant a different sort of response and maybe something of a firmer, more boundaried response. I think you're saying compared to the child who's just simply become utterly overwhelmed and needs the utmost sympathy and and less of anything sort of more more firmer boundaried. Am I, am I getting you right about that? Yes, yes. And I, I suppose what we need to remember is that we all have our bad days. We all have those days where, you know, we haven't slept well. We are taking in loads of kind of, you know, we're maybe trying to juggle a lot of information. Um, but as adults, we find that we have coping strategies to manage those life stresses. So for me, I like a good old sing along to Dolly Parton and then maybe an extra cup of coffee in the day. So what we need to teach the children in those meltdown behaviors is those kind of coping strategies and that and ways and strategies to manage those um, stresses. So um, the likes of a calm and toolkit or deep breathing exercises. Um, so finding things that they can release that built up pressure um, throughout the day. If a parent is looking at more information on um, those kind of meltdown behaviours, um, th- there's a great podcast by one of my colleagues and yourself, James, on why does my child go from what not to 100? Um, and there's so many little strategies there that can be used and um, it'd be beneficial for families to, to have a wee listen there. 
I'm not sure if it's totally appropriate, but I was going to make a little joke about Dolly Parton and, and <laughs> someone singing Dolly Parton might help somebody else calm and it might help somebody else towards crisis mode. But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, in, in terms of then the behavior side of it, so, so moving on from the meltdown side, we're saying that's different. And therefore, you know, the way we have to respond as parents is different. Can you unpack that complexity a bit more for us, Nicola? Yeah. So if we if we think of the the behavior episode um as communication. So I want to get attention, I don't want to do the task or this demands too difficult. If we think about it like what is the child trying to communicate to us? Um and then we look at a more functional way of getting that communication across. So for example, if it is the, the child's looking for attention, we can do um what, what we've done in the past is having some time where mum and me time um and it's at, you know, just before bedtime where they get, you know, 20, 30 minutes with mum where they can talk about what's been happening in their day and just that kind of attention from mum. If it's to escape the demands, we're looking at the likes of teaching the skill to do some break cards. Um, if you know, if the task that's been asked is too difficult, what we're wanting then is is for the child instead of turning over the table, we want the child to say to the teacher, hand over a break card, and then the child gets to break from that task. Um, so that would be um, our our main goal is giving a functional way for the child to get what they're needing. So if we are, are detectives and we find out the function, um, then we find a functional way for them to get that um, need met. If we've, we do some other kind of behavior strategies as well, that's, that's really good is a first and then approach. And loads of parents would talk about, yes, we've tried the first and then approach. Um, and what we need to look at is it's first a non-preferred task. So first dinner, then consult. So it's first non-preferred activity. So for the child with the dinner, um, their non-preferred was eating. Um, and then their preferred activity is uh, their consult. So that's first dinner, eats the dinner, then consult. Um, and if you're child struggles sometimes with the processing speed you'd want to use a first and then board uh, with the little visual so you would have the little dinner time visual and then a console visual um, and then present it to them in a visual format which provides them then with the concrete information when I do when I eat my dinner I will get my game console following that the next kind of strategy that I absolutely love is um, an ignore, redirect and reward strategy. And what you're doing there is when you have a child say that they're screaming or they're banging the doors, you're going to ignore that behavior. And by ignoring, I mean not referencing it. So you don't say stop banging the door, stop shouting. You're just ignoring it. You redirect them to um, their sensory activities or their calm and toolkit or to another activity um, that will use as a distraction tool. And then whenever they take part in the new activity, you say, you're doing a great job building those Legos, or you're doing a fantastic job using that fidget spinner. Um, and so it's called ignore, redirect, and reward. So you're ignoring the behavior and not the child. 
you're redirecting to a new um, a new activity and try and incorporate that into their common toolkits or their five point scales or their sensory activities and then reward them because everybody loves a bit of praise so give them that praise um whenever they're doing that good behavior um, so my main kind of topic is catch the great good behavior and reinforce it and give them high fives, head rubs, praise, cause let's face it, everyone likes praise. And then the last kind of thing that I, I really love doing um, with kids and works really effectively is high reinforcers in the kind of token, like a token system. So what we're teaching there is, is that you be good, you, you, we catch the good behavior, we reinforce it, and then you'll get something great from that. Um, a token economy works really well there. You've given us a lot there to think about, Nicola, all the way through from the importance of understanding what the antecedent or the cause is and what's going on yep. for the child. Because it's only when we understand that that we can try and work out what they're really seeking and needing and try to help them with it. So that's that's hard for parents, I think. Um, there's no one one answer will always work in every situation. It's more complex than that. And then there's a lot of what you said there. There's we could unpack for for ages. I really like that one about ignore the behavior, but but don't ignore the child because someone could easily think ignore. Uh, that podcast said I need to ignore them when they're behaving badly, and then of course it could make the whole thing worse. But we're we're trying to redirect. We're trying to engage. We're just not giving airtime to the to the, the behavior and i think that's that's interesting it's probably challenging even for some people listening who might take a response of well you're not kicking the door in my house mate and then the whole thing gets gets worse um just on this theme of how parents respond nicola i wonder what's your thinking around withdrawing things so for example right you've just thrown your dinner all over the door you're not getting your console for a week or a month or two months or depending on how stressed the parents feeling about it what, what do you think about withdrawing things um it's one of those kind of strategies that is the go-to where we kind of as parents it's that that go-to strategy that we use um and what i'd like to ask the parent is 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 it effective so when you remove that playstation does the behavior stop does it reduce the behavior anytime and is it the behavior less likely to occur then in the future? And normally the, the parents would say, no, he just goes back to the same way when he gets his com- computer back. So for me, then it, that strategy doesn't work. Um, and it's known the behavior strategy is called response cost. So um, my behavior, so throwing my dinner against the table or, or the door has cost me something, my PlayStation. And for me and you, James, it's like being fined for speeding or parking in double yellow lines. Does that prevent us when we get a £60 fine for parking in the double yellow lines again in the future? Possibly not. But research research on, on this strategy would say that it isn't the most effective. Um, and what you need to do is switch that from punishment-based, so I'm going to take that off you, to reinforcement. So instead of taking away the playstation you're wanting the child to earn the playstation so you be good you get your playstation you never remove the playstation from the child research basis it's not effective so it's not the best strategy to use because it doesn't 
um, prevent or reduce the likelihood of that challenging behavior happening again in the future. So really, I think we're saying in there that we're almost switching the whole thing around, that it's not a core message of you're going to lose stuff if you don't sort this out, that the whole focus changes to, hey, you're doing well, and as a reward, you can have such and such, and that that provides an incentive for the, the child. And if a parent's listening to this thinking, okay, that, that sounds like a good idea, how to actually get this going, where to I start, what advice have we got, Nicola? Um, I would sit down as a family, set up some house rules, um, generally set up about three rules and something really achievable. So if it, if your child is mainly hitting out or kicking out, have that as one of your rules. So no hitting, then make maybe a rule about keeping his bedroom tidy or and then the third rule is something that, that's going to be easily achievable. Then make up those rules in a visual um, that, that matches your child's needs. So if your child um, is able to read, then you can just write it down. If your child needs that additional little visual to match the written words, then have that there too. What I tend to do is get the child to sign it. So they're kind of nearly buying into the contract and then you place it up on your fridge so that they can see it. If we take the the console, um, so let's let's say for toxic, um, an Xbox, get a picture of the Xbox and have it laminated and cut it into six pieces, let's say. And every time you catch your child being good, you give them a piece of the Xbox. So a small piece of the Xbox for being good and make a huge song and dance about it. You're getting this because you were fantastic and you're following the rules of the house. And they give the the piece of the Xbox to the to the child, and then um, when they fill in the full picture of the Xbox, then they get the Xbox time. So what you're teaching is is that you have to earn the Xbox by following the house rules um, and displaying good behaviour. If you have, um, remember we were saying there about bad days. Some people have bad days. If you see your child's about to have a behavior episode or you can start to see a little agitation coming remind your child that that's what they're earning so remember we're trying to get our xbox and that sometimes is enough to allow the the child to kind of pull their behavior into check and to get their their reinforcer which is the xbox Um, and i suppose the only kind of point says is make sure that your rules are achievable and that you don't set it up to fail because a lot of parents would say to me, oh, we've tried that token system before and it didn't work. Um, and what it is, is it's just that it's unachievable. It's too difficult to manage. Um, so, you know, they have to be good over to over two weeks to get the Xbox. Well, it's maybe a, bit, a wee bit unrealistic. Try it over one day um, and then gradually add it up to, to a bigger time frame. So just looking at the reinforcer um, and building it up so that they earn for being good. And I suppose with that, Nicola, the importance that a parent doesn't make it too complicated for them to administer. It's got to be something that they can kind of incorporate without having to put in too many thoughts. So if if, if they've got a spreadsheet with all sorts of token scores on it and, and things, it's, it's getting too complicated. I, I'm also just making a little joke in my own head about make sure that you cut up a laminated picture of the Xbox and not the Xbox itself. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah um, definitely. <laughs> in, in, in terms of more 
general advice um moving on from that sort of token system are there general principles and, and general advice just as we come to a close that you think it would be helpful just to remind listeners of today yeah, just like everyone that's involved in providing care um, needs to do the exact same thing. So if we've taken on the Xbox um, example with the tokens, um, if he gets, if mum gives him the Xbox just for, you know, for um, a day and then dad tries to implement the, the, the token board, he'll not get the consistent, persistent approach. So everyone involved in the child's care needs to be doing the exact same thing. So I know that you're, everyone that's providing me support is giving me a predictable and consistent boundary. Um, and I suppose when you put in a behavior change or you change up um, any kind of strategies, generally what happens is the behavior gets worse. Um, so something that I previously got um, my game console when I shout and screamed and I no longer get that, I'm going to increase my behavior to get it. Um, so just making parents aware that generally behavior gets worse before it gets better. And what I say to parents when I'm providing kind of behavior strategies, keep trying for about four to six weeks um, and allowing the strategy to embed in your family home um, before you say it's not working. And also for parents is, is that whenever you have a escalation in the behavior or the frequency of the behavior, the parents need to be prepared for that. So just be mindful that how you're going to react to, to the behavior. And if you're tired or you're trying to manage loads at work and trying to then build in a new behavior change program, you are maybe going to find it difficult day to um, put that in place. So what you're wanting to do is be ready to do it yourself so that you can embed it for those four to six weeks. Whenever you're providing any kind of verbal response to the child, use a calm and firm voice um, so that you're kind of providing that modeling um, technique. So you want it calm, you want to be calm and you want to be firm and you're providing that that boundary in a in a verbal presentation to the family. Thanks, Nicola. There's a lot in there again. Even the bit you were saying about making sure everybody's doing the same thing, because I suppose that's important in every family setting. But I'm imagining for autistic children and young people, that consistency and lack of unexpected things, um, it could it could be extra important. Um, and I'm I'm hearing what you're saying as well about. Uh, this could get a bit harder before it gets a bit better. So if parents are trying to implement some of these strategies and they're getting a bit of kickback, um, not 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 to lose heart. I wonder, just to finish, Nicola, if there's someone listening and they're saying, yeah, okay, I hear all this, but this is all feeling really stuck and, um, and we're not getting anywhere. Have we any final thoughts for that parent listening? Just be um, one of those behavior detectives. So get a pencil and pen um, take a step back. Um, what is happening? So what's the antecedent of the behavior? What's the behavior? What's the consequence? And then as a family, decide what your boundary is going to be um, and then stick to that boundary. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, you Sometimes you will give in to the behavior and that's just, as I said, some parents get a little tired or you haven't slept yourself 
don't be so hard on yourself. You will give in um, and just reflect on it, learn from it and just keep going. And you will find that when you put those consistent and persistent boundaries in place, you're, the child is going to know exactly what's expected and you will have a happier family environment. Thank you, Nicola. So a good advice there about keeping on going and sticking with it even when uh, things feel like they're not not making progress. Um, thank you for all that really helpful advice and, and, and things for us to, to go away and think about. Uh, and thank you too to you for listening. Um, if you feel able to, we would be very glad for you to fill in the brief little survey online, which is just near the title of the podcast on your podcast platform. You could feel free to suggest any future topics you'd like us to address. And we hope you find this podcast helpful. <laughs>